we obviously live in a very connected, very busy, very frantic type of world. Um, but because of this, even more so, we need to take the time to reconnect with God, to slow down and take a step back and find silence and solitude. And so for this whole uh, series, um, we've been discovering how that practice of finding silence and solitude results in a refreshing of our physical, mental, but most importantly, our spiritual lives as well. First week, we talked about intentionally setting time aside to find that silence and solitude. And I emphasized how that was an essential and key part of our Christian walk. Uh, And we talked about how Jesus intentionally went into the wilderness to prepare uh, for the ministry that was yet ahead. And he wanted to be with God. He intentionally isolated himself so that he can spend time with God. And then in our second part of the series, we talked about the fascinating ideal of prayer. We talked about how prayer was an avenue in reaching God. When we come to a secret place and we pray to God, God is already there waiting. And so the opportunity to, to really just take a pause in our life and simply just pray to God, to commune and talk with Him, is uh, an exciting and beneficial reward for our spiritual walk. And then last week, we talked about the Sabbath. And we talked about how the Sabbath was a time that was set apart intentionally by God so that we could commune and fellowship with Him. And we also talked about how the Sabbath was a reminder of both creation, the finished work of creation, and the work of salvation, right? The eradication of sin, the eliminating of sin and sorrow so that we could have an everlasting life with Him. So now, if I were to summarize the entire series in a sentence, uh, it would go like this. It would be basically, Jesus invites us to come to Him in a space of silence and solitude, to find rest with Him, and to engage with Him. Jesus invites us to come to Him in times of silence and solitude, to find rest with Him, and to engage with Him. But this is the reality. Okay? We live in a way too connected world. right? It's ironic. right? It's like jumbo shrimp. It's ironic that we have things like social media to connect with the world. But we are extremely disconnected, right? in a sense. Right? We live in a type of culture that pushes people to go, 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 with no rest and with no stop. So, With this culture that we live in, we have to put an additional effort to create a space of solitude and silence. Now, it's so extremely important that we learn and practice different ways in which we can disconnect from our crazy reality and the distractions that come with it. So that we can find a physical, emotional, mental rest and a spiritual refreshing in God. Now, I'm going to wrap up the series talking about a few practical tips um, in order for us uh, to find God in the midst of the silence and solitude. So today, we're going to talk about two different points, um, but really four different things. Uh, And this, hopefully, will help you and your journey um, to experiencing rest in life with God. So the first practice that I want to discuss with you and to share with you is the idea of meditation and journaling. 
Okay. Now, I want to be very clear before I jump into this ideal of meditation and journaling, that when I'm talking about meditation, especially about meditation, I'm not talking about the Eastern religion ideal of meditation, meaning um, uh, the ideal of opening your mind and emptying one out or emptying or opening your mind to empty it out and then to, to be empty and to be filled with whatever, right? I'm not, I'm not trying to invite spiritualism or anything of that nature. Don't get me wrong. Okay. I want to focus on the biblical understanding of what it means to, to have meditation. Okay. Um, the word meditate um, or the ideal of meditation, uh, basically, to summarize it, is the idea of, of focusing on one thoughts, right? to ponder, to think on. Okay? You see, the ideal of meditation is this ideal of reflection, okay? of contemplation. And it's usually about a specific subject in which we focus our thoughts. Okay? Now, in the Hebrew, you'll see on the screen here, in the Hebrew, uh, there are five words that describe the ideal of meditation. And there's one word in the Greek. Okay? So you'll see on the screen, uh, uh, sorry for my butchered uh, Hebrew. If you know Hebrew or if you get curious and look these up, my pronunciation is probably wrong. Uh, but the first one we see is haga, and then the second one is sika. The next one is Higayon, uh, and the next two are Sikak, uh, and they're two of the same spelling, uh, but uh, they share or they don't share the same root. So they're a little different um, in terms of their application. And then the Greek word, which is the last one here, is Me'et uh, Alo, okay? Me'et Alo. Yeah, I probably said that wrong, but that's fine. Uh, so anyways... Each of these five um, plus one, six uh, words using for the use of meditation, they capture a very similar theme of what meditation is all about. Um, so basically, it's to consider, to think deeply of, to ponder upon, to imagine, right? So when we look through scripture, you'll find over and over again, and especially in the Psalms, um, you see this idea being used over and over again, okay? Psalms 36 verse, uh, or 63 verse six, and it says this, it says, when I remember thee on my bed, I meditate on thee in night watches. Psalm 77 verse 11, it says, I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. Okay, 78, Psalm 78 verse 42, they did not remember his power the day when he redeemed them from the adversary. Psalms 143 verse 5, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all thy doings. I muse on the work of thy hands. And even our scripture reading today, Psalms 119.15, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. You see, the purpose and the goal of biblical meditation is to empty our minds of the wrong things in order to fill our minds with the things that are right, which are true, which are honorable. You find in the Bible, Philippians 4, 8, okay? Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You see, these are the things in which we need to meditate on which we empty our minds of the things of this world and focus it all on the things that the Philippians 4.8 says, right? Biblical meditation, hear this, is the idea of detaching from the controlling influences of this world 
and then attaching to the living God. Unlike the traditional worldly view of meditation, biblical meditation has an objective. It's an object-driven task in which we do. So if you remember in the Bible, uh, or you'll notice in the Bible, that the word meditation, or to meditate, or even the words to remember, is connected with an object. Okay? It's object-driven. It's object-focused. Okay? It's the meditation on God, or meditate on His power, to meditate on His works, right? the things that He will do and the things that He has done, to remember the promises. Okay? Biblical meditation is object-driven, object-focused. And that object of our meditation is none other than God. Right? So biblical meditation is so important because we take the time to reflect, to ponder, to think about God. Right? Come to think about it, a lot of the times uh, I get questions from young people and just people in general about their spiritual lives starting to not be as exciting as it used to be or you know they got baptized and they, everything seemed to be great and then all of a sudden it just kind of died off and plateaued right and they typically these kind of people typically ask me the question pastor like i read my bible i go to church i pray i don't do like bad things or anything like i'm a good kid you know like i'm i'm a, I'm a good kid right uh but why does it seem like god is like absent why does it seem like there's nothing like there's no point in my spiritual life. Like, what, what's going on? Like, what's the point of all of this? Or questions like, why does God, like, not listen to me? Like, I, I'm earnest about, like, I'm being honest with God. But for some reason, like, it doesn't seem like God is listening. Does God hate me? Or, you know, things of that nature. These are the kind of questions that I typically, typically get. And at first, when I got these questions, I, I used to be really confused. But the reason why I was so confused is... I used to think it was weird, like, wow, these people are being very honest, like, they've been doing these little things, like, they're doing great things, but why does it seem like God is not there for them, right? And of course, I've experienced that as well, too, where I go to church, do all these things, and sometimes, like, things just go down the drain, and I would think, huh, like, like what, what's going on? Like, like where, where, where's God, right? Now, this is a really deep question. It's a loaded question. And there's no way that I can, I can uh, tackle all the different sides and aspects of it. And I'm not going to. Um, but uh, we'll break apart a little bit. Uh, and I want to emphasize on one of the things. But one of the things I want to emphasize is the idea that maybe one thing that we lack, and when it comes to this practice of our spiritual life, is the ideal of meditation. I really think that maybe some of the, the missing link for, for some people, is not that they're not, they're not praying enough or they're not like reading the Bible enough or they're not doing enough good things. It's not that. But I think maybe it's this ideal of meditation, of pondering on the Word of God, pondering in prayer, pondering on, on, on God. You know, the Sabbath school lesson actually for the collegiate uh, Sabbath school quarterly uh, for the high schoolers, um, and if you watched the live stream this morning, then you would know one of the things that was also talked about was the idea of the willingness of an individual. Is sometimes uh, the, the hindering factor of trying to hear God's call or God's plan for your life. And I think meditation also falls along the lines of that. Maybe we're missing this ideal of meditation, of biblical meditation in our spiritual walks. 
Like, yeah, we read the Bible, but does it really stick? Do we read it and like really fully understand what we're reading? Or do we take the time to, to ponder and to digest and to think about what we just read? Yeah, we listen to sermons and we listen to podcasts and, and you know, we, we feed ourselves these spiritual foods. But do we let it go in one ear and out the other? How often do we take the time to just sit down and just ponder and wonder and meditate on the Word of God? Or in our prayers, to meditate on the words that we say. To simply just sit in the silence and soak in that silence and just listen and, and think about God. You see, unfortunately, I think we end up in a position of looking at spiritual practices as more of a chore than actually something that we take joy in. Why does it seem like that, that when it comes to praying, when it comes to going to church, when it comes to reading the Bible, doing outreaches and things like, like that, Sometimes it's just, it's just work. It's just a chore. It's just something that we want to quickly get over with. And let's be real. Let's be honest, right? I used to be like that when I was growing up too, right? I attended an Adventist academy. We used to read the Bible um, in, in class for whatever reason, Bible class or for devotions or whatever. And for some reasons, it was always like me and my classmates like competing with each other. But it was a competition to race our way through the reading. Right? So we would read as fast as we can, get over with it, and then put it away, and then like, we would win. Um, I was very like, childish as a child, obviously. Um, but, or like when we're asked to read something at church, like if we have like, a reading club, and I'm like, oh, can you read this? And, and then you know, we're trying to like, like power through it and just finish it for the fact of finishing it. Like, we're not taking the time to digest each sentence, each word. We're just like, plowing through everything. Why is it sometimes that we see things like this as more of a, of a chore than a joy? You see, church, how often do we take the time to ponder and meditate on His Word? You see, it's something very natural and easy to catch ourselves not doing. Our society and culture is so weird and so wired to get things done, right? To go, 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 to finish and move on, right? Deadlines, let's get it done and next, get it done and next, right? We're so driven as people to do that. But how often do we take the time to just be silent in solitude, to ponder, to meditate on the good word of God? Now, hopefully that provokes some kind of thinking and reflection on your own life, on your own spiritual life. Now, you see, as I was thinking about this sermon, thinking about, you know, how I would share this with you, one of the things uh, that has been really practical for me and hopefully can be practical for you is the ideal of journaling. Um, when I was younger, so I started journaling when I was a kid, uh, but it wasn't very consistent as I got older. It's been consistent now, but before it used to be really inconsistent. But when I was younger, uh, my parents made me journal every single day. I absolutely hated it. I'm not going to lie. It was the most, uh, it, was a, it was definitely a chore, right? Um, and I wish I had the journal entries with me still because uh, I remember looking at them a few years back and I thought it was really cute. Um, and they're lost somewhere in my parents' house. 
But I remember looking back uh, one time and reading through the entries, um, and they were really sincere. You know, there would be things like talking about my day, how I got into a fight with my friends, or like a disagreement with them, or how I was talking, like describing my lunch, and like I don't even remember eating that honestly. But um, like describing my lunch, and then talking about somebody else's lunch, and talking about someone's outfit, and just like very like simple things. But eventually, like as I kept skimming through this journal, I started to notice that they got really short. It would be, you know, very simple. It would be like, yeah, my day was okay. Oh, my day was bad, or lunch was disgusting, or lunch was good. And then I'm tired. And then I would write by like like ten, fifteen times uh, just to fill up a page because my mom would expect me to write a page in my journal. Um, funny story, just something just randomly thought of. Uh, when I was younger, my parents called it a diary, and so I thought it was a diary. So I went to school and told people that, oh, like I have a diary, and they all laughed at me and thought I was a, because um, uh, they they thought basically like only girls write diaries and boys write journals. But anyways, uh, random story. I got made fun of a lot for that. Uh, but journaling, I really think that journaling has a special. Uh, special reward when we take the time to journal and especially in our spiritual uh, lives, I think it's a powerful practice that can all enhance your spiritual connection with Christ. Now, don't say like, oh, well, pastor, like, okay, like I'll journal, but you know, I'll just do it on my phone or, oh, I'll just think about it. Like I'll, I'll actually think about it. No, I, I think the ideal of getting a book, pen and paper, and just writing out and journaling your days is is so much more beneficial than using your phone or doing it in your head, right? And for those that are thinking like, oh, like I use my phone, like don't worry, I got this. Uh, you know it's distracting, so don't use it, right? Now, the act of journaling, I believe, helps with two different things. One, when you have the chance to look back over what you journaled about, it'll help you see how much you've grown or how much you've changed since then, right? The idea of being able to look back to see what you have done, to see and to grow, right? And then the second thing that I I think journaling really helps with is it allows you to pay attention to your present thoughts, your feelings, and your circumstances in the presence of God, right? Now, remember, we're not talking about just regular journaling, okay? We're talking about spiritual journaling. So it's in reflection of how am I doing with God as of right now? What is God doing in my life right now? How am I feeling towards God right now? Okay. You see, the key to learning and growing, I strongly believe this, is to take the time to listen and to reflect on our lives and to see our experiences with God. Right? This is the whole ideal of looking back in hindsight. Right? To look back at what God is doing in your life and to help us to understand now and to propel us forward to see what is yet to come. Right? If God has done this for me now, God will continue to do this for me later. Amen, right? Now, okay, you may be wondering, all right, pastor, like very like basic outline of journaling, uh, but you might not know how to start. Okay? Uh, I think uh, the easiest way to remember, and hopefully this will be a guide for you guys, I call it the three R's, okay? This is how you practice biblical meditation through journaling, okay? Number one, first R, reading, okay? First of all, I strongly believe that the Bible is the greatest revelation of who God is, right? It's the revealing of who God is through the Bible. And this book has a lot, 
right? This is God trying to speak to us. And if we don't take the time to read this, then we're not going to be able to hear what God has to say. So grab a Bible. First hour is reading. Grab a Bible and start to read. Um, there's many resources that you can, you might not know where to start. Uh, I don't, in, I don't encourage people to just open the Bible randomly and just start reading. Uh, that used to be something I used to do all the time. Uh, but it is kind of, um, not really orderly. So I'm not a huge fan of that. Uh, but there's many resources. Our church has also done a Bible post-it reading challenge. And so there's like daily, like reading, uh, logs that you can look at, uh, on our social media. Um, but there's many different resources. Uh, that you can use, but take your Bible and just read. But not once, read two times, read three times, read as many times as you need to take your time, read slowly. It's not about how much you can read. It's not a race to finish your reading for the day and to move on and set it aside, but it's how thoroughly you can read the text. Write out questions, even the, the simplest questions, right? No question is a bad question, right? All questions are good questions. And then once you do that, respond to this question. Write this down. What does the text say? Okay. What does it say? So, for example, this is just going to be a quick example. You know, let's just say we read John 4, verse 4. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Verse 2, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned about this, Learned of this, he left Judea and went back over uh, to Galilee. Okay. What does the text say? Well, um, it's saying that Pharisees seem to be uh, a little jealous almost. Um, and it looks like Jesus, uh, hearing that, uh, decided to go back to Galilee. Right. Very simple. That's all you need to do. Just read. Read it once. Read it twice. Read it slowly. Understand what's going on. Ask yourselves questions. Wait, why does it say Lord and not Jesus? Like, it's the same person. So why doesn't it just refer to the same thing? Like, or like, where exactly in Galilee did he go? Right? Okay, it's not about finding the answers. It's about asking questions and, and learning this habit of, of thoroughly reading the text. And then asking, what does the text say? Second R, okay? Reflecting. Okay, so after you finish your reading, okay, look back over it again. Right? Look at what you read. Look at the questions you wrote down and what you wrote for your answer for what the text says. Okay? Then ponder and think about it. Like literally. Like just sit there and just think about it. Look at it again. Look at it again. Think about it. Go get a snack. Go for a drive. Go for a walk. Do some push-ups. Do some jumping jacks. Whatever it takes. Take the time to think about it. Okay? Not take a break. Don't get me wrong. Okay? Take a break. Or, uh, don't take a break. Think about it, right? Ponder upon it, right? Like when you're getting the snack, walking to the fridge, huh? Like why, why would Jesus just leave like upon hearing that? Why doesn't he just go and defend himself right away? Let's just say that's all you read, right? And, and ponder, right? One thing that I like to do when I drive is uh, sometimes, you know, it's, it's a habit for a lot of people that drive to turn on music or something like that. Uh, recently, um, starting last year, actually beginning of last year, I started listening to a lot of podcasts, but then after listening to podcasts, sometimes I would just drive in silence, right? Just drive in silence and just think about what I was listening to or think about like the devotion that I read for this morning, whatever it was, just to take the time and let my mind wander towards whatever I was thinking, right? Um, then after you do that, respond to the question. 
What does the text mean? What does the text mean? What is the meaning of this? After I've pondered on this for, for 10, 15, 20 minutes, what does it mean? What does that mean? And the last R, responding. Respond. Respond to the text. Respond to what God is trying to tell you. But take your time. Think about this as well. Think about what the response is. Okay. Repeat the step of reflecting and then respond to this question. How does the text apply to my life? What does this mean to me, to my life? You see, church, especially with times like now, with the world that we live in and the, the, the stillness of the world we live in now, I think right now is the time to start cultivating this practice of making this into a habit. With so much time that we may have at home, we have the ability, before we get back to the grind of our lives, to, the, to build this habit. Okay. Now, the next thing uh, that I'd like to talk about, um, first of all, if you know me, you know that I love food. Right? And if you know me, like know me, know me, you know that food has been a very important part of my ministry um, as a pastor. And ever since the beginning of my ministry, even up in Alaska, food has been a very integral part of what that was. Okay? One of the first ministries that I invested myself into and I thought was very powerful was the sandwich outreach, right? Changing the world one sandwich at a time. This ideal of going out and feeding people and, and sharing a meal with them is by far the greatest thing you can do because people not only need a spiritual feeding, they need the, uh, the physical feeding as well. Um, also, one of the ministries that I started uh, back in Alaska to get people to, to join and fellowship and to see the church as a, as a safe place to be, uh, every Friday we would cook and we would teach the kids how to cook. And so, you know, we are kids like, as young as 11 and, and, and 10, like flipping omelets in the kitchen and, and making omelets for their parents at home. Uh, so some of you watching, you may remember um, the omelets and all the food that we used to make on Fridays to get people to see that church can be a fun place to be and, and to fellowship and to have Vespers together. Um, so food, as you know, food has so important to me in my life. Uh, and I think uh, food is is the, the bonding agent that connects people, right? I think Jaylene shared with this uh, with, with us uh, last night about that. But food connects people, right? Food brings people together. It connects families. It can turn strangers into friends. You see, food is what connects us to different cultures, right? To places that we have never been, we maybe have tried their food. And I think California is the greatest place to do that, right? You can try all kinds of food from all different walks of life, right? Cambodian food, Vietnamese food. You can try Italian food, French food. You can try um, Nepalese or Nepal food from Nepal, right? You can try all different kinds of food. You see, food allows us to be blessed by people and to bless them in return. Now, one of the reasons why food is so important to me, at least, uh, and I hope to you, uh, because... Um, of this very reason. Okay? When I say the phrase, uh, the son of man came, uh, the son of man came, how would you finish the phrase? Now, some people may say, Mark 10, 45, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. 
Okay, Luke 19.10, some people say that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Or Luke 7.34 says that the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. Now, these three verses, the reason why I bring them up, um, the first two phrases that I shared state the purpose and why Jesus came. Okay? He came to serve. He gave, came to give his life as ransom for many, right? to seek and to save the lost. But the third phrase that I shared with you states the method in how Jesus came, right? He came eating and drinking. Okay, so for me, this is an amazing discovery. When I first discovered this, uh, it gave me more conviction to make sure food was a part of ministry and a part of church, okay? Look at the Gospel of Luke. If you look at the Gospel of Luke, you find literally story after story of Jesus eating with people, right? Luke chapter 5, Jesus is eating with the tax collectors and sinners at the home of Levi, Matthew Levi, right? Luke 7, what is Jesus doing here? Jesus is anointed at the home of Simon, the Pharisee, during a meal, right? Luke chapter 9, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Luke chapter 11, Jesus, uh, or chapter 10, Jesus eats in the home of Mary and Martha. Chapter 11, Jesus condemns the Pharisees and teachers of the meal, of the law at a meal, Right? Luke 14, Jesus is at a meal when he urges people to invite the poor to their meals rather than their friends. Luke 19, Jesus invites himself to dinner with Zacchaeus. Okay? Luke 22, Jesus has the Last Supper. Luke 24, Jesus is risen and then has a meal with two disciples in Emmaus and then, and then after eats fish with the disciples in Jerusalem. You see, If we were to summarize the gospel of Luke, the gospel of Luke is about Jesus going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. Like literally, if you look at the gospel of Luke and you'll notice that food is is a repetition in the ministry of Jesus. Now, I don't want to turn this into a different sermon about food or anything like that. I'm sure you guys are starting to get hungry, but this is my point. Okay, Jesus emphasized the ideal of food and drink at the table because to Jesus, food was a sign of his friendship with us. It was through the meals that Jesus shared that he was extending his grace to us. So basically, the meals that Jesus shared represented a new world. It represented a different kingdom, a new kingdom, a new outlook and perspective on life. They represented friendship, community, and a welcome to that heavenly banquet that Jesus was describing in Luke 22. You see, there is power when it comes to sharing a meal with somebody. Because sharing a meal with your own family, your neighbors, a friend or a stranger, you're sharing a little slice of the pie that awaits us in the heavenly kingdom, right? And through that, we have the chance to experience God and to share that experience of God with other people as well, right? And in this sense, we experience a a different kind of rest, right? And life through Him. Now, some of you guys may be thinking like, ah, pastor, like, It's not easy to sit with a stranger and have a meal, right? It's not easy to sit with somebody that you're not comfortable with. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. uh, There was a time where I had a meal um, with someone that I was actually working with uh, at a different church. And I won't state uh, where, uh, but uh, it was so awkward, even though we had to work together. um, Like, I had no idea what to say. Like, I had no idea what to do. Like, 
it's hard. It's hard to have a meal with someone that you really don't know. Okay, now, now granted, like this is me getting to know them for the first time. And if you're thinking it's Pastor Enoch, it's not Pastor Enoch. I'm not talking about Pastor Enoch. It's a different church uh, a while back. So anyway, um, but let's think about this. Okay, a meal represents a fr- a relationship, a friendship. One of the first dates uh, that I went on with my girlfriend, and I want you to think about also your relationships if you're in one. Typically, one of the first things that you do on a date is you go and eat, right? We don't go and sit down and just talk for a few hours, or maybe you did, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But typically, the first thing you do on a date is you go and get a meal, right? Uh, and I think it makes complete sense, right? And, and, by sitting down and having a meal, it's a sign of friendship. It's a sign of wanting to get to know the person better, right? And by having a meal, what better way to get to know someone while over some really good food, right? This is the point. When it comes to spiritual practices that help us disconnect from the craziness of life and, and, and the spiritual practices that can reconnect us to having life and rest through God, it's meal. It's a meal that can slow things down, right? You see, a meal forces you to become people-orientated instead of task-orientated, right? You're You're not trying to like scarf down the food as fast as you can. You're trying to enjoy the meal and trying to get to talk to someone and get to know them, right? Meals bring you closer to somebody. You see, people for who they are. You connect, you communicate, right? And this allows us to build community which allows us to continue building the kingdom that Jesus began to build while he was here on this earth. Now, church, follow through with me on this, right? There is so much power in a meal, right? The act of sharing a meal with somebody. You have the opportunity of sharing with somebody an experience of a lifetime, of finding that community of God. As Jesus began to build this kingdom of of, of, of bringing people to this heavenly banquet, right? We have the wonderful privilege to continue that legacy that Jesus began by simply sharing a meal with somebody. And as we share a meal with somebody, we also have the opportunity to slow down and to really focus on what the purpose of the meal is, to build that relationship with others and ultimately to point people towards God, right? You see, church, uh, unfortunately, as we wrap up this series on finding solitude and silence, I pray that this series becomes so much more practical, especially at a time like now, in which we can begin to seek God in the midst of solid and sil- silence and solitude. Right? And in the act of doing so, that we can be strengthened, encouraged, we can find healing, and we can find hope in a world full of worries. You see, by understanding that in the silence and solitude that we can find a God that patiently waits for you and I. And by entering into a secret place of prayer that we can hear God really speaking and and talking to us. To taking the time on the Sabbath day to remember the work that God has done in, in the complete work of creation and then the redeeming work of the Sabbath, of the of salvation on the Sabbath day. And to embrace this practice of meditation and of journaling and of sharing a meal and building God's heavenly home. You see, I pray at a time like now that we, Glendale Korean Church, 
can focus everything that we have, our time, our effort, our willingness, our thoughts, our words, we can focus all of that on our spiritual well-being. Now is the time, church, to focus on how we're doing with God. Not later, not tomorrow, not next month, not when things go back to normal. It's now. Now is the time to really focus in on what God has to share with us. Jesus is really coming soon. So I pray that we take advantage of this opportunity to not waste it, but to take advantage of it, to prepare our hearts and our minds to get right with our Lord. This is my hope and this is my prayer, church. To be still and to find God in the silence. <music>